the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you joined me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. We call the program Crosswalk because it really is the intersection of Christian faith and Christian living. This is the program with you in mind where we give you the opportunity to ask and we try to find answers to the questions that you care the most about, questions about God and questions about the historical Jesus and questions about the Bible. And of course, it never ceases to amaze me um, that people want to know the answers to these questions. Uh, You know, like, hey, um, how do we even know that Jesus existed? Um, What do early non-Christian writings say about Jesus? Could the New Testament account of Jesus just simply be an exaggeration? One of my favorites, of course, is did Jesus come back from the dead? And of course, that deals with the issue of the resurrection. And I'm happy to talk about any of those things. Happy to take your call at 303-873-1935. Excuse me for coughing. 303-873-1935. And of course, friend, um, producer Jim Nichols, he is on the, you know, he's not on the phone right at this very moment, but he's available to take your call at 303-873-1935 to ask you what your question is. And then we'll try to find the answer to your question. 303-873-1935. And like maybe some of you, I did watch the NFC and the AFC championship. I know it's not a sports program, but um, I do enjoy watching the game. And uh, this year's Super Bowl with the Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams, um, I think are going to prove to be a pretty exciting game. And so... Um, Again, if you want to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. And um, there was an interesting headline at Christian Headlines. I'm going to come back to the Colorado State University thing here in just a moment. They posted a sign that's making national news. But before I do that, um, I want to share that headline with you at christianheadlines.com to God be the glory. Cincinnati's even McPherson sends Bengals to the Super Bowl. And of course, um, Cincinnati showed up against uh, Kansas city and he kicked the final, uh, he, he kicked four field goals. He set an NFL record and more significantly, he sent the Bengals to the, their first Super Bowl since the 1988 season with another walk-off kick. And, uh, of course, Evan McPherson also continued to represent his Christian faith in a public way, wearing a God is good t-shirt to the post-game news conference. 
and then referencing his faith on social media. And, of course, the Bengals are going to play uh, the Los Angeles Rams in Super Bowl on February 13th. And in the span of five months, you know what, Jim? Jim, did you know that Evan McPherson is a rookie? He's a rookie. Can you imagine in your rookie season become a, becoming a household name, in the uh, at least among NFL fans? And again, his 20-yard field goal in overtime uh, lifted Cincinnati to a 34-31 win. He's the first place kicker in NFL history to make 12 postseason field goals without a miss. And the first rookie place kicker to make 12 postseason field goals, according to CBS Sports. He was four for four on field goals against the Chiefs, the Titans, and the Raiders. So, again, his game winner on Sunday uh, took place after the Bengals intercepted quarterback Patrick Mahomes and Cincinnati quarterback Joe Burrow and the Bengals offense then drove methodically down the field and set up the kick. So, again, you know, you talk about even um, literally in a, in a very real sense the, the Kansas City Chiefs winning in the overtime the last game on a coin flip, and they get first possession, you remember. So it's just interesting. 303-873-1935 is my number. And, again, because you are in my listening area at in Fort Collins, there there's an interesting um, headline that has been that's made national news, and of course that's the Colorado State University sign. Now, again, what's interesting about this sign? The sign has been posted <laughs> at Colorado State University, and if you go there, or if you have a child that goes there. The sign says, if you or someone you know are affected by a free speech event on campus, here are some resources. Can you believe it? In other words, here's the idea. If free speech offends you, here are the resources that are available to you. And then the sign lists 17 different departments or cultural centers or student diversity programs that students and faculty can access if they're hurt by free speech. They're hurt by free speech. Hurt by free speech that they hear on the campus. A campus that has a $31,712 tuition rate for out-of-state students. You can go to the Dean of Students. You can go to the Office of Equal Opportunity. You can go to CSU Health Network Counseling, Employee Assistance Program. The list goes on and on and on. One of the things that I find interesting about this sign, I'm wondering if anyone is actually going to say, you know what, I'm... I'm uh, Affected by? I'm affected by the sign. I'm affected by a sign at a university 
that seems to indicate that free speech is not something other than welcome. Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody has the same idea about everything. But why are you so insecure about free speech? Now, again, we live in a world that constantly berates Christians for their worldview, belief in God, belief in Jesus, belief in heaven, belief in hell. And of course, what I was getting to earlier about certain beliefs that that are troubling. I'm wondering if I went to CSU and I, I got invited. I'm not saying to invite me to CSU, but if I did, and I was speaking on the topic of why believe in the resurrection. Why is the resurrection of Jesus so important? And again, If our sins are taken away by Jesus as the supreme payment and sacrifice, our sins are covered. But if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, Paul was the first to argue Christianity is a joke. So why believe in the resurrection? I'll have more when we come back. 303-873-1935. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You know the number. It's 303-873-1935. If you'd like to join me on the program, 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Joel, welcome to the program. Hi, Gino. Hi. A question in First uh, Samuel. Um, I've been reading, you know, the, uh, the uh, account of David and Saul and I came across this, uh, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact chapter, but it was when Saul's made king, and then, you know... He, you mean when Saul is made king? Yeah, Saul is made king. Uh-huh. And then, he, you know, he really screws up. Um, eventually, uh, God allows an evil spirit to torment him. Correct. And so David comes into the picture and, you know, plays the, the harp for him, and comes him down and he really likes David and wants him to be his armor bearer and all of that. And then later on, when the battle's going on um, and uh, David faces Goliath and defeats Goliath, it seems like Saul then asks who this, uh, who this young man is, who his father is, where he comes from. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Do you not recognize him? He was the guy playing the harp for you, and you wanted him to be your armor bearer. You yeah. Table. Yeah, you're talking about First Samuel chapter 17. Yeah. And in, and in first, that's where the, the story that you're making reference to takes place. Of course, it's one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible. Uh-huh. And um, obviously, the the question you know whose son is that young man first samuel chapter 17 verse uh 55 and and just like you said well why would you ask that david you, you know was employed to soothe him he you know using music therapy if you want to use that term and uh-huh, and sure. the the king knew david's name and had even been told 
who his father was in First Samuel chapter sixteen. So, so there, there's a couple of possible explanations. Okay, why he does that, Um, and and as a preface, I, I want you to note that Saul isn't inquiring the identity of David per se. He's asking about who David's father is. In other words, he knows that he's this guy named Jesse, but it, it could be that that we assume that he knows David's name. He might even even know the name Jesse. Um but but again for whatever reason he's so um he he's trying to figure out his genealogy, so to speak. He says, "I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem." It could also be that he's having a Joe Biden moment, where because of demonic <laughs> oppression, he, he's in some sort of diminished capacity. So one explanation for why King asks about the identity of David's father is that quite simply he had forgotten who he was. Um, Saul had been told about Jesse, like I said, in 1 Samuel 16, 18, and he had even had correspondence with him according to verses 19 through 22. But again, because of everything... Be, that, go ahead. Yeah, and I and I thought about that. Well, maybe there's a... I can't tell the time uh, between when David was, you know, offering this music therapy till the time he went to face Goliath. And maybe... Well, that time was yeah, I, I, I think that there's something more important than the timing. And, uh-huh. and I think the thing that's more important than the timing is remember what Saul has done. He has promised a prize to the one who defeats Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, remember, right. marriages in those days are arranged marriages. And so Saul had promised wealth and the king's daughter— for the man who killed the giant. Right. Saul had also promised the family of the victor a tax exemption for life. And in order for Jesse to receive that benefit, he had to confirm that that's in fact who his dad is. So another possibility is that Saul's question was meant to inquire of David's background in general. In other words, remember Saul is going has a growing animosity towards David. He's going to have a growing animosity towards David, and he might have actually began this whole um, idea of offering his daughter and and wanting to renege, wanting to sort of walk it back. And so you know, it, it could be wait, wait, who is this boy? Wait, wait, what tribe does he come from? What clan does he come from? Now, you'll remember, 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 what tribe is Saul from? Benjamin. Benjamin, right. Right. What tribe is David from? Judah. (laughs) Judah, yeah. But you see, here's my point. There's a relationship and a connection between Judah and, and Benjamin now, again, I'm going to suggest to you that there is a strong, strong cultural, compelling reason to retain marriage within your tribal group. Another possible explanation for why Saul is asking for the identity of David's father 
is because the events in 1 Samuel 17 occur chronologically. So this is where your question really does become important. It occurs chronologically prior to those of chapter 16. So in that, that case, David is stepping forward to fight Goliath was the first time that Saul had met David. Oh, I, if that's I, the I, case. Oh, if that's the case, you're, but and I'm suggest that, yeah, and I'm uh-huh. su- I'm I'm suggesting that that might be the case. Oh, so the events that happened in seventeen could have occurred before what happened in sixteen when David. Right, the events of of First Samuel seventeen occur chronologically prior to those of of chapter sixteen. So now again, you and I, because we live in the world in which we live. We tend to think chronologically where, you know, this is the past, present and future. Even when you're watching a television show or you're reading a book, you know, if there's a flashback, you want to know, you know, am I watching a flashback or am I watching something in real time? Usually there's something in the setting that's going to give us a clue. Have we gone back in time? Is this a flashback? But the Bible isn't always very clear about that. But again, because the Bible isn't necessarily, in certain instances, uh, geared towards writing a chronological account. This is what makes Revelation so frustrating. Yeah. Or I, I have found that I can't pick the verses or cite the verses now, but I, I've seen that in other places where that I have that, you know, that same question, like, wait a minute, it seemed like this has already happened, or they should know this. Right. So again, it's that big question you're asking, and and that scholars have dealt with um, for for decades, even centuries. So, well, well, if that's the, the case, way that's, that the books bo- uh, mm-hmm. both are written and divided is usually um, by the type of literature. So even when we're talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are certain elements that are chronological, but there are certain elements that are not chronological. So the Bible not being in chronological order makes it difficult for people who think in a chronological fashion. It does. But but there's, there's some fun things like, you know, there's chronological Bibles that have been put together so that you can go, oh, this is taking place in reference to this, and oh, this is taking uh, place in reference to that. And that's where, as a helpful tool, is is a chronological Bible. Oh, yeah, that, w- that would be. Um, but you also stated earlier that this later on with Saul doing more digging would be Again, because he's a Benjamite and and David's and from, the, David's from the tribe of Judah. So yeah, he's 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 asking and answering the question: What am I? You know, who is this kid, and what have I got myself into? Yeah, exactly. What have I got? This is irresponsible again on Saul's part. But uh, okay, hey, thank you for your call. Hold on. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935 if you want to join me. Um, love to take your call, answer your question, 
And I was talking um, a little bit about, you know, chronology in the Bible, but also, you know, I was going to get back to the subject of the resurrection. So, (laughs) but just a quick note on the chronology thing. The books of the Bible are typically divided by the type of literature. For example, Genesis through Esther is historical. Job through the Song of Solomon is poetry. Isaiah through Malachi, prophecy. Matthew through Acts, historical. Romans through Jude are letters to churches, individuals. Revelation, of course, is a prophecy. And within the type of literature, the books of the Bible are in basic chronological order. So, for example, Isaiah's prophecies occur before Jeremiah's prophecies. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. So even though the Bible not being in chronological order can sometimes make studying the Bible difficult, thank God for chronological Bibles. They are very easy to come by. You can literally get a chronological Bible at the library. And so um, a chronological Bible puts the content of the Bible in chronological order. As an example, Isaiah ministers during the times of the kings. So a chronological Bible puts Isaiah's prophecies in the appropriate place in the book of First and Second Kings. So a chronological Bible also takes the four Gospels and then attempts, if you will, there are there are issues, attempts to put the events in order. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Is it Tika? Yes. Tika. Hello. Welcome to the program. I know you want to ask me something, but you have to tell me the story of your name real quick. Tell me about that Um. name. The story of my name is not much of a story. My parents were hippies, and they named me Tika. Well, you know what? (laughs) As a recovering hippie, uh, call your parents up and say, hey, it isn't often, but somebody asked me about my name today. Okay, how can I help you? Um, So when Jesus was put on the cross, and Uh um, there were 5,000 dead were seen, right? Pardon me? When Jesus rose from the dead and then, no. No, he was seen when by was more the... than 500 people. No, I mean when the the dead rose from the grave, when Jesus died. Oh, oh, so you're asking about uh, the, the passage in Matthew where other people rise from the yes. grave? Yes, and so my question is, if they weren't sleeping, then what were they doing? How did they rise from the dead? Well, that's a good question, and I, I, your, your, your question implies something, and that is that dead people are asleep, and that's not necessarily true. In other words, sleep can be a euphemism. That's how we describe tenderly um, the appearance of our loved ones who have died. So you'll remember yeah, in, 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 yeah, in John chapter 11, for instance, when, when Lazarus uh, is raised from the dead. Um, 
so I, the, the way that I, I would answer your question is that that, that passage in Matthew, um, I'm trying to remember the exact place where uh, at, at that time um, the graves were opened um, pri- after the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. And so the big question becomes, it, it's, 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 yeah, well, it's Matthew 27, 52. And so in Matthew 27, 52, the meaning, I guess the way I would put it, is disputed. And the way that I would put it is like, uh, like Lazarus in, 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 uh, in John chapter 11, are these people who rise from the dead only to die again? In in other words, in Matthew 27, I think you tell me if this is what you're talking about. It says, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice. He yielded up the spirit and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn. The earth shook, the rocks were split, the tombs were opened, and many of the saints who had fallen asleep uh, were raised, so that's the tender expression of fallen asleep, were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, and there's the key, after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Yes. So, so I'm what gonna, were they doing though if they weren't sleeping? I mean, how could you raise from the dead? Don't you once so, you're like I'm saying, yeah. it's a metaphor or a euphemism. So if you're asking the question, were they really dead, and did they really come back to life? I'm going to say yes, but because and and so the the key there's two keys. The first is are these real people? who were really dead, yes, and then they came back to life, yes. So did they come back to life in the same way that Jesus came back to life, in a glorified body, never to die again? Or did they come back to, like like Lazarus, or did they come back to life with an immortal body? And and so there's a couple of, that's why, why I'm talking about it, um, that that there there's a, there's a sense in which some people suggest that this is a type and a picture in the Old Testament prophecy of Jesus being the first fruit from among the dead. So the event occurred as a testimony to the power of God, and that's why it's being recorded in Matthew chapter 27, because only God has the power to bring dead people back to life. So yeah, there's some there's some questions surrounding that particular passage, and um, my own view is that it's quite possible that that the raising of the few and not all the saints shows that Jesus has the power to resurrect, but also points forward to the second coming and the judgment of Jesus. So we, that begs yet another question, and that is how many resurrections are there? And of course, the Bible in the broadest terms talks about the first and the second resurrection, but there seems to be a resurrection spectrum. And by that, I mean, 
were people during the earthly life of Jesus who were dead, did they come back to life? The answer is yes. Lazarus is an example. There's several other examples. Um, you know, the, the centurion's daughter and the list, uh, servant, and the list goes on and on. So, yeah. But my question is that when it says, you know, absent from the body is present with the Lord, and yes. then also that no human eye could see or has seen God. So therefore, when those people died, where'd they go? I mean, how could they come back from heaven and be resurrected? Well, that's two different questions. And and the way that I would an- answer your question is, what does it mean that no one has seen God at any time? I, I don't think it means no one has gone to heaven and come back, um, or no one has died and come back to life. And the other thing is, remember, the Bible says, he who has seen Jesus has seen God. In So I think that the meaning of the passage is that no one has seen God in the fullness of the revelation of his identity. So again, remember the disciples asked, show us the Father and it's sufficient. And he goes, have I not been with you so long and don't you recognize me? You hold on. I'll try and sort through some of this when we come back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. We're talking with Tika. And Tika, you're asking a lot of different questions, but I want to sort of link all of them together. In Matthew chapter 27, which you brought up, about the earth shaking, the rocks splitting, the tombs opening, the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. So I believe the many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, they're dead, like really dead. And then they're resurrected. They experience a resurrection. And they go into the holy city and appear to many. Uh, And so... So some sort of resurrection took place, whether it was a resurrection like Lazarus, where they're going to subsequently die again, or glorified, and that when Jesus ascends into heaven, they're going to ascend into heaven as well, um, is unclear. But to, to your other question, well, if people who die, like Lazarus, like the other people who die in the New Testament, like the people you referenced in Matthew chapter 27, do they go to heaven? And the way that I would answer the question is they go to the place of the righteous dead. And and when Jesus is resurrected and he ascends into heaven, in John chapter 14, he like you alluded to earlier, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you to receive you to my self. And so having said all of those things, now we go back to that other issue. Has anyone ever seen God? Okay. So like, when you go to the place of, of, of the righteous, do you actually see the fullness of God? Because, again, in John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him 
known. And then, so the, the big question because, becomes, no one has ever seen God. Does that mean that the appearances, like, you know, in the burning bush or in other, they're called theophanies, where, where there's this sense of the presence of God, God is present. And of course, in Exodus chapter 33, and, and it, where, where the Lord says, you can't see my face. No one can see me and live. And, um, and so in Exodus thirty three eleven, it describes Moses speaking to God face to face. So how can you speak to God face to face if no one has seen his face and live? And so I think, in, like in Italian, it says faccia, faccia. In other words, it's a figure of speech indicating that you're in close communion. So God and Moses are in such close communion that they're having a conversation like even as a as two human beings are having a close conversation jacob sees god appearing as a man but is that really god in the sense of the fullness of god i don't think so samson's parents are terrified when they realize that they've seen god in judges chapter 13 verse 22 but they're not really seeing god they're seeing this angelic presence so but my thought is this is where i was going with all of this if you're in the righteous place or in heaven and you're in the presence of god and then all of a sudden you're placed back on this earth i have a hard time wrapping my brain around that oh me too me too i mean can you imagine having a conversation can you imagine having a conversation with uh with Lazarus and and saying, why did you send me back? Or what in the yeah. world am I doing here? Yeah, that's and, what I think. That yeah. would be kind of a terrible day. Come back to the earth. Right. Come after you've been up there. Well, but, uh, yeah. There and, and I think Paul alludes to that in 1 Corinthians when he says, you know, I know a man who died, but whether he was in the flesh or in the spirit, I don't know. But he has this vision uh, of heaven. So I think people have visions of God, images of God, appearances of God. But the way that I interpret all of this is that no one has seen God in his fullness. Now, I'm going to go one step further, that even in heaven, no one has seen God in his fullness. So in heaven, so let's use the term the place of the righteous dead, or even the term the eternal state. Will you see God? I'm going to suggest to you no. Will you see Jesus? I'm going to suggest to you yes. In other words, Jesus is one person who is completely human and completely God. In other words, Jesus retains his humanity throughout time and space and eternity. That, that we some, can't have a relationship and a physical someone to see. To right, right. To so there's someone who's there. And is that person God? Yes. Is this person the Jesus who I'm, I've been talking about, that Jesus who was born to a virgin in Bethlehem, who lived the perfect life, who died on the cross and who came back to life. Is it that Jesus? The answer is yes. 
Okay. Isn't that interesting? It's all very interesting. What is so cool is we get to find out (laughs) one day. Well, and yeah, and and you know what? When we find out, I think it's going to be way cooler than even what we can imagine. Amen. Thank you, Gino. You're awesome. Hey, thank you for your call. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on on the program. 303-873-1935. You know, again, I was talking about the resurrection, still happy to talk about the resurrection, but happy to take your calls. These are important calls, important questions. And so again, in John 118, has anyone ever seen God? The Bible says in John 118, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. In other words, that passage seems to indicate whatever vision has taken place of the eternal, self-existent God, the one that Jesus talks about in John chapter 4, where he says to the woman at the well, God is a spirit, and they who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You are a human being. You have eyes, or maybe you don't. Maybe you're listening and you're blind. You have senses, sight, smell, taste. You're living in some sort of physical world. You have a body that's appropriate to the place where you are. but you don't necessarily see angels or demons. Now, I'm going to suggest to you, is it possible to see angels and demons? And there's several examples that are given in the Bible where, for whatever reason, a person's perception has been lifted, and through some sort of supernatural means, people are given a glimpse of, if you will, into the supernatural realm. But even as you're given a glimpse into the supernatural realm, does that mean you see God? And I'm going to suggest to you, again, John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God. And I'm wondering, you know, somebody might say, well, no one human has ever seen God and lived to tell about it. But what if it means no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side? He has made him known. What we know about God is what he's told us about himself and what Jesus has said about him. Hey, when I come back, take more calls, answer more questions. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.